You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Now, these guys have given you uh, classes that are coming up that you need to avail yourself. I've got something that you need to do every day. You can pick one of these up right here, right there by Debbie. These are little short daily devotionals. Um, pick them up. They're quick. They're, they're good. They're really good. And uh, you've got one a, a day. You see just a half a page right there. Gives you a verse. Gives you... Uh, uh, a devotional, and as you're heading out the door, you've, you've done your devotional. And on Mondays and Wednesdays, now I give you a little bit more in-depth devotional, and it's all online. So pick these up as you head out. Take your Bibles uh, that you should be reading every day, <laughs> and go with me to Genesis chapter, go to 39. Genesis chapter 39. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard of Frederick the Great. He was king of Prussia. Uh, he was not just king of Prussia. He was a military genius. In fact, some of the tactics that uh, Frederick the Great wrote down uh, are still used now in the teaching at the United States War College. So... Um, very important figure in, uh, in history. He was walking down the street one day. Uh, this Prussian king, who was really a Prussian soldier, general, and there was an old man walking toward him. I don't know if you've ever heard. This is a famous story. This old man was walking toward him, and Frederick stopped him, looked at him, and said, um, Who are you, old man? And the old man looked at him, and he said, I'm a king. Well, Frederick the Great laughed at him, and he said, over which kingdom do you rule? And the old man said, over the kingdom of myself. And it stunned Frederick the Great. Now, you stop and think about that. I rule over the kingdom of myself. Uh, I could stand up here, and I could go to politicians, both sides of the aisle. I could go to entertainers. We could go to men of industry, men of business, uh, and you could say, here are men who run nations, governments, foundations, institutions, corporations. They run all of these things uh, in an impressive way, but the one thing they cannot run is themselves. They cannot control their own lives. Lord, if you knew what was running through my mind, who was running through my mind? It's even true of preachers. They run great ministries, but they don't have the discipline to run or to rule over their own lives. They've lost the ability to discipline themselves, or they never had the ability to discipline themselves. And uh, that's so true of a lot of people in the kingdom today that they just simply do not discipline their own lives. They don't even discipline their own lives to be in the Word of God uh, for just a, a short period every day. Now, where does that discipline come from? If you want discipline in your life, now listen to me, you're going to have to put yourself in the place of preparation. I've often considered that my whole life has been just lived out in preparation. And I'm constantly in preparation. God's got me in the classroom of preparation for this or for that 
or for something else all the time. And the only place you learn discipline is when you come and you're willing to be in that place of preparation. 1976, Bobby Knight um, won the national championship. Indiana University won the NCAA national championship in basketball. Right after that, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes because he was such a winning basketball coach. On that program, in that interview, the interviewer said, why is it, Bobby, that your basketball teams at Indiana are always so successful? Is it the will to succeed? Now, I want you to listen to what Bobby Knight says because it's pure gold. He said, the will to succeed is important, but I'll tell you what is more important. That is the will to prepare. The place of preparation, that's exactly where you're going to find Joseph tonight at the end of chapter 39 and into chapter 40. Um, I've discovered in life that there are a lot of people in the church who want a place of leadership. Uh, They want a place where they can run something. They want a place where they can lead something. Uh, They want a place where they can... um, Um, show their spiritual maturity. They they want a place where they can lead other people to do whatever it is that they feel like God's called them to do. However, the thing is this, they will not discipline themselves because they will not put themselves in the place of preparation. They will not undergo preparation for what God wants to do in their lives. Here's where we are tragically. We want position without preparation. We want responsibility without rehearsal. And we want greatness without grounding. Now, the life of Joseph, you come to an exceptional young man. He's exceptional, he's exceptional in his gifts. He's exceptional in his abilities. He's exceptional in his talents. Um, in every way, you could say Joseph was an exceptional servant of God, and yet God's going to take him now after everything that he's gone through, all of this that he's already gone through, being thrown in the pit by his brothers, being sold into slavery, going to Potiphar's house, all climbing that whole ladder at Potiphar's house, then Potiphar's wife wrecking everything, it seems, in his life. Now he's going into prison. They're going to throw him into prison. You look at him and, and, and you wonder, after all of that, why in the world is he going into this dungeon? I'm going to talk about that in a moment. It is God's place of preparation for him. Regardless of the fact that he's got all this ability, regardless of the fact that he's got all of this incredible talent, incredible giftedness that he has, yet God puts him in a place. Do you know how long he stays in this prison, in this dungeon? As best I can determine, it's somewhere around 10 years. He's going to be about 30 years. This guy's going to go, and he's going to be about 30 years old before God ever gives him the opportunity. God's just got him in it. Think about Jesus Christ. 30 years. We see him at his birth. You see him when he's 12 years of age. In between that, we're told that he grew um, in favor, in wisdom, in stature, uh, in between the time of his birth and he's 12, at 12 years of age, he's in there stunning. He shut the mouths of the rabbis in the temple. Mom and dad come back, find what in the world are you doing? And he's, you know, they take him off. You don't hear anything until he's 30 years of age. What in the world is going on? God in the flesh. 
in a period of preparation. Let me tell you something. You are never effectively used by God until you put yourself in the place of preparation. Well, that's all that you're going to see out of Joseph right here because that's where he goes. So let me take you back and let me show you. They put him in this prison. Chapter 39, uh, verse 20. So Joseph's master took him, put him in the jail, uh, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. Twice it says that. The word jail there literally means round house, a round house. Now, you come to chapter 40, and you get over here into uh, verse 4. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph uh, in charge of them. Uh, I'm back up. Go back one verse. Verse 3. He put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in, in the jail. Now, the word their jail is different. It means a pit. It means a hole. Uh, it means... Um, it's a dungeon. That's what it means. It's this dungeon that's down in the ground. This round dungeon that is down in the ground, that's where Joseph is. Now, the interesting thing is this. Watch. Listen to verse 3 and verse 4 of chapter 40. So he put them in confinement. So he put uh, them in confinement. Now, these are others that have been arrested. In the house of the captain of the bodyguard. In the jail the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Now, I, I don't know why, but I've never noticed this before until just about two hours ago as I was going back and looking at this. If you go back to chapter 37 and you look, you, you read this about Potiphar. We are told back in chapter 37 that Potiphar was the captain of the bodyguards. You see that? Well, you come over here to chapter 40, and it says here, so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail. And it just kind of dawned on me about two, two and a half hours ago, this prison is also in Potiphar's house. Who's the captain of the bodyguard? Potiphar. It's talking about Potiphar here. doesn't use his name. It uses his title. And the, and the confinement is in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. And you say, well, now that's kind of confusing. Not when you stop and think about it. If you go to Israel with me, when I go to Jerusalem, when I take you to Jerusalem, I'll take you to what is left of Caiaphas' house, the high priest. Uh, they have excavated pretty extensively there. There's a Catholic church sits right on top of it, but you can go down underneath uh, the church and you can go through all of these cells. There's a dungeon down there. It's where Christ was kept. Christ was kept down there underneath Caiaphas's house until they brought him up for trial. And then they put him back down there until they took him off to Pilate. Um, but underneath the house of Caiaphas are these dungeons. You can go to any of these castles throughout Europe, and if you go down into the bottom, they're dungeons, they're cells down. They kept prisoners there. That was the jail in that day and time. I was just, I've got an illustration I'm going to use Sunday morning about an Anabaptist who was being held in the Netherlands in the palace dungeon. He was in the dungeon. That's where, that's where they built the jails. So what I'm reading here is this. 
is that here is Joseph in a round, it was round, it was a hole in the ground, it was in the house of the bodyguard there, the chief, the captain of the bodyguard, and so evidently, most likely, underneath that big house of Potiphar, there was a prison down there, and that's where Joseph was. Well, obviously, y'all are not as fascinated with that as I am. I I found that to be pretty fascinating. But it was also known as the king's prison, which means, as I stated last week, this is where, you know, if you offended the king, if you were part of the upper echelon and and you were close to the king and you did like the baker, like the cupbearer, and you did something to offend the king, he put you in this prison. It was a special prison for prisoners who had offended Pharaoh in some kind of way. So now there he is. There's Joseph. He is in this dungeon, a round dungeon, most likely under the house of Potiphar. It's still the king's prison. It's prison, but that's where he is. Now, God puts him there for a reason. God allows this to happen for a reason, and it is to prepare him for what he's going to do. Now, I'm going to give you one point tonight that has three subpoints, and each subpoint has about two subpoints. So let me give you the one thing that I want you to hold on to tonight and to think about, and it's this. As you come to leadership, as you come to the place where you want to lead the people of God, you want to be a leader in the church, you want to be a leader among the people of God, then you have to learn to adapt to the situations God allows you to be placed in. Not adopt the situations, not adopt the circumstances, but adapt to them. That is, work within the realm of where, listen to me, work within the realm of where God has placed you. Because God has placed you in a place of preparation. Wherever you are right now, I am telling you, you are in a place of preparation. So that's where Joseph is, and there are two things you need to see about that. Look at this. In chapter 39, verse 21, it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph. He didn't abandon him. He didn't leave him. He didn't say, hey, bud, I'll see you when you get out in 10 years or ever how long that it is. You come down to verse 23, and you read this. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. There's God's presence right there. God never leaves him. He's got him in a place of preparation. God is there because God is working in Joseph's life to make him the leader that he's going to need to be. Now, look at the second thing about it, and it's this, and it's God's provision. It's hinted at right there in verse 23. And whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. That is, everything that he did, God, listen, God was watching over him. God was taking care of him. God was making sure that he had everything that he needed. But now look over to chapter 40 and verse 3, and let me go back to that same concept right there, and that is, that he was in the house of Potiphar. I am convinced Potiphar knew the truth about the situation. Now you say, can you prove it from the text? No, but hey, believe what you want to believe and be wrong if you want to. Um, 
God had him in this particular jail. It's connected into Potiphar's house, and Potiphar is there, I think, continuously. I think that's why he didn't execute him. I think that's why he didn't send him off to another prison somewhere. He keeps him right here in his own house so that he can keep an eye on him, and he can watch him, and he can take care of him. God's with him. God's taking care of him. God's training him. God's got provision for him. Everything because God's going to take him from this pit and he's going to move him in one swift move from that pit to the palace of Pharaoh who runs the then known world. Most likely this was the Hissocks. This Pharaoh was a Hissock. They lived in lower Egypt which is on the northern part of Egypt. Lower Egypt is the northern part, up around the city called Memphis, where they they had great barbecue there. (laughs) Up around uh, a little north of Cairo, uh, where Cairo is today, this is where Joseph would have been at that time. And he's going to take him from that pit, and he's going to move him clean up. Do Do you understand the opposite happened to Saddam Hussein? He went from the palace to a pit in the ground. They found him in a spider hole is what they called it. They found him down in a spider hole. This guy, who was as godless as he could be, went from the palace, went from multiple palaces there to a pit. Joseph is going to go to a, from a pit to a palace. Woo! That's just, when God, listen, God's got his hand on him. I'm going to give you three things now. I've not even started into the text. I'm going to give you three things to focus on. When you are in the place of preparation, number one, focus on what you can do rather than focusing on what you cannot do. Now, being in a dungeon tends to limit all these distractions in life, right? I mean, what can you do in a dungeon? Uh, We generally, if we were in a dungeon, we don't focus on that. We don't think about that. Uh, We would sit around and think about, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other. We we do that so well. Um, I've got notes. We we need to really pray for those people that are in this snowstorm. I've gotten letters from uh, notes from about three or four different people in Dallas today, just saying, please pray for us. We're they're in bad shape. Uh, they don't. They don't have power. They don't have. I, we talked to one. One wrote Debbie, good friends that the pipes have burst all through the house. No power. Nothing they can do. There's nothing they can do. Others, um, all of their pipes are frozen. They can't get water. They have power, but they don't have water. Others, uh, just they don't have anything, and they've had to move out of their home and go find somewhere where they can stay with family or something like that. You know, it tends you you lose all of this stuff. And you begin to think, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the other. And we sit around and we think about that. Listen, we've got power, we've got heat, we've got flat panel televisions in practically every room. We've got, how many computers you have at your house? How many desks? I counted up desks today at our house. Uh, We have at least five desks at our house. At least five of them that I can think of right off the top of my head. How, how many books? I can tell you how many. I've got 11,000, around 11,000 volume library that I've got. Uh, how, how, many, uh, how many iPads you got? 
How many, how many things do we have? And what do we do? We sit around and we say, well, I just don't know that I can do anything. We just don't have, we, we need this and we can't do that. And we can't do the other. We've got more stuff to, to occupy our times with. Here is Joseph in a dungeon who has nothing, and yet he does not focus on what he cannot do. He focuses on what he can do. What can I do? Well, look back, and let me show you a couple of things. He makes a success of everything he does, even when he doesn't have anything. The chief jailer, verse 22, committed to Joseph's charge, Andy gave Otis the keys to the prison. That's what he did. I saw it the other night on television. And he told him, he said, I'm not going to be here. And he says, oh, let me check. Do I have my key? I've got my key. Okay, I can get in. The chief jailer committed to Joseph. You know what Andy says to him? He says, can you find the lock? And Otis said, finding the lock's not the problem. He says, finding the door, that's the issue. Anyway, he said, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge. All of the prisoners who were in the jail, look. What can I do? He gives him charge of all the prisoners that were there. So whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. So he looks and he says, this is what I can do. I can go and care for these people here. I can run this, I can run this jail. Now that's probably, he would probably have been uh, desired to run something else, but here he is, and he says, this is where I am in this place. I'm not going to focus on what I can't do. I am going to focus on what I can do. We need to hear that. Listen, let me tell you, do you know that there were three people, we've, we've been told already, three different people, two were extremely wealthy that turned everything they had over to Joseph. Jacob, his father, did. Out of all of those boys, he turned to Joseph and he turned everything that he had over to him. There was Potiphar that turned everything that he had over to Joseph. And now the jailer has turned everything in the jail that he has control over, he's turned it over to Joseph. Does that foreshadow anything? Pharaoh at some point is going to turn everything in the empire of Egypt over to Joseph. Why? Because this is a guy in a place where there is not much of anything. He focuses on what he can do instead of moaning and groaning about what he can't do. Now, let me give you a second part to that. He ministers in that place. Now, this is pretty fascinating to me. Get over to chapter 40 and look at chapter 40. Because there in verse 4, you read this, the captain of the bodyguard, whom I think this is Potiphar, put Joseph in charge of them. That was the prisoners that were being brought into this. And uh, he took, do you see that word took right there? Anybody have something different than took? He took care of them. He attended, served, assigned you know what the word literally is? He ministered to him. He ministered to him. In the Hebrew, it's the word minister. It means to serve, to wait on, to contribute to, to counsel, to care for. 
to meet their need. Whatever it was that a minister does, that's what he was doing to these people. You know, I've discovered in the church a lot of times there are positions that um, people don't want because it's not impressive enough. Well, that's not impressive enough. That's, that's not worthy of my time. That's not worthy of what, I, you know, I've got more gifts than that. I've got bigger gifts than that. I want something that's a little bit more public. I want something that's a little bit more, you know, something that, uh, that's a little bit more impressive. I want, I want you know, if I'm going to do something here, I really want to be used in a way that my gifts are going to be used. They're going to be on display. People are going to see all of that. Here's Joseph. Joseph had far more gifting in his life than anybody that was put in that prison. And yet there he is ministering to everybody that was put in there. Thank God for people who have great gifts and, and abilities and God-given talent who will stand at the door and open the door and welcome somebody in. Or who will go downstairs and work with preschoolers and change diapers and get a sippy cup and give them a glass of water. They have far greater abilities and talents than that, and yet they are not too big to serve in the place of preparation. Okay, well, you know, I've, I've pastored. Bonnie wrote me today, and she said, how long have you been senior pastor? And I had to think, it was 38 years this is going into 39 years. that I've never done anything else but pastor. In every church I've ever served in, I've always been the, the pastor. I've served in a church where I had no staff. My first church that I pastored, y'all, on Sunday mornings when I get to church to go over to the sermon, you know where I had to go? They didn't have an office for me. I had to go in the men's restroom. And it was a one-holer. <laughs> so when anybody knocked on that door, I had to go out so I could let them in. And then when they came out, I went back in there to study. I'm not joking to you. It's so, it's, it was so far out in the country, they had to pump sunshine into that place. It was at the end of a paved road. Church was at the end of a paved I had Confederate dead in the cemetery out there and pews that had been made by the slaves. I was an old church. That church was older than the country. It was established before 1776. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. <laughs> All that time. I had no staff. I was the staff. And I've gone from there to overseeing the staff at two of the Southern Baptist Convention's largest megachurches, downtown megachurch. I've had as many as 200 people on staff. All kind of ministers. And I always hired tons of people I've hired through the years. And inevitably, I would have somebody walk in and say, Pastor, I'm not serving in the area of my giftedness. And I said, okay, we're, you know, tell me about that. Well, I just need to be in the area of my gift. I need to be where my gifts can be used. And I said, do this. Go back to where you're serving and serve the people there but I'm not in my giftedness. I'm out of my giftedness. I need another position. I need another title. I need something different to do here. Go back to that place where you take your gifts and you serve the people of God there until something opens up, until God opens something up. But you go back because if you can't take your high-powered gifts and minister to the least of God's people, you never going to make it in ministry. 
Oh, yeah, I've said it many a time. You're not going to make it. You take those great, big, impressive gifts, and you go down there, and you minister to that person that needs ministering to. There is Joseph right there. That's him. Now, through this whole thing, you need to watch now because what you're going to see is you're going to see his attitude. Joseph is the great Old Testament example of how a man of God handles his dreams being destroyed. The other thing is this. He is the great example of how you have the right attitude in a terrible situation. Let me give you the second thing. The second thing is this. Learn to focus on the spiritual, not so much on the tangible, the temporal, and the material. He focused while he was here on his relationship with the Lord. And you say, well, how do you know that? Where do you see that? Seven times in chapter 40, the word dream appears. You have the word dream seven times there. Now, we've not heard of a dream since back in chapter 37. Now, this is kind of interesting and, and kind of follow with what I'm doing here. Uh, here is Joseph in chapter 37. He has two dreams. Who interprets the dreams in chapter 37 of Joseph? His family. Joseph doesn't interpret them. He tells them the dream. And his brothers, lo and behold, they figure one out. And then his daddy figures the next out. So in chapter 37, that's the last time we've heard about dreams was back in chapter 37. And it was other people who were doing the interpreting there. Joseph, while he is in this prison, in, his, in this dungeon, he is focusing, listen, not on the things that he doesn't have, the material, the tangible, you know, uh, the temporal things of life that we put so much value. He focuses on his relationship with the Lord. And do you know what? Lo and behold, what begins to happen in chapter 40? Other people have dreams. And who interprets now? Joseph does. How in the world does that happen? Spending time with God. Preparation. God's preparing him. He interprets the dreams of the baker. He interprets the, dream, the, the, the dreams of the cupbearer. Gets them exactly right. They do the dreaming. He does the interpreting because all of that is beginning to prepare him to be called up to the court of Pharaoh where Pharaoh has had a dream. And to misinterpret Pharaoh's dream would have been... That would have ended everything right there. So what's he doing here? When you're in the place of preparation, listen, focus more on the spiritual than you ever do the tangible, the temporal, the material, all the other things we pour so much of our time into. Give attention to the spiritual. You pay attention to that, and let me tell you, the rest of life, what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff will be added to you. The other stuff will come along. It'll, you, you, that'll, I, I'm, I'll take care of that. But you seek first my kingdom. You, you seek first my face. You be with me. You get here with me. And in doing that, Listen, let me tell you, in doing that, 
All the rest I'll handle, God says. And the Lord made him to prosper. Let me give you the third thing. And the third thing is this, in leadership. Learn to focus on your attitude and not on the attitude of all of those around you. Now, boy, is there anybody who's been surrounded with people uh, with more attitude than Joseph has? I mean, everybody he's around has got attitude. Everybody's got attitude. Those brothers of his, do you notice that in that whole thing with his brother, his brothers hated him. They had attitude. He always had the right attitude toward them. Always had the right attitude. And you're going to see that. Now, next Wednesday night's my last time uh, with you and Joseph. But at some point before Jesus returns, we will get back to Joseph on Wednesday night and we'll finish up his life. This is really just getting you into it right here. Because when you see him in these latter chapters, he's going to treat his brothers very well. Um, there was Potiphar's wife. Terrible attitude. Wouldn't you say? I would say terrible attitude. There she is. She goes into a screaming fit, furious, because she's been rejected sexually, which has infuriated her. She's screaming. Joseph just gets out of that. You never see him with a wrong attitude back toward her. Same thing can be said really of Potiphar because we're told he burned in his anger, uh, but Joseph never disrespects, never acts in a way that is anything other than a godly response to Potiphar. All of that, in all these areas, his attitude was right. You know, statistics tell us two out of... I don't know how many people were fired today in America, but two out of every three people fired in America are fired because two out of three are fired because they can't get along with other people. Interpersonal relationship skills. Now, if you run companies here, you know, that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you know the number one thing that an employer looks for? You know, one of the outside of their personal relationship with Christ, if I go to hire a staff person, I, the, one of the number one, you've got to be able to work with this team. You've got a team here you've got to work with. Interpersonal relationship skill. Number one thing. I'll take somebody with less talent any day if I've got somebody with the right attitude. Amen? Good Lord, listen. Amen. I'll take, I'll take somebody less gifted, less talented, needs a little extra training. I don't mind that if they've got a right attitude. Here's a guy right here. Here's your man right here. If you're in the place of preparation, most likely God is trying to work on your attitude. Nothing matters more in your work, in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood than that. Joseph focused on his attitude. How am I going to respond to people when they fuss at me? How am I going to respond to people when they just lose it with me? How am I going to respond to those who have power and control over me? How do I respond back to them? It was because of the time he was spending in this place with God that you see this incredible attitude. Now, do you know what his attitude does? Everywhere he goes... His attitude begins to change the atmosphere of where he happens to be. It is an amazing thing. 
He ends up in Potiphar's house, and man, listen, Potiphar concerned himself with nothing, but what am I going to eat tonight? He changed the atmosphere of Potiphar's house. He is thrown down in this dungeon, and what does he do there? He changes the atmosphere of this dungeon. Everything is changed. He does not allow the atmosphere of that place to change him, but he changes the atmosphere of where he is. That's leadership. That's what you learn only when you are willing to go to the place of preparation. Now, I'm going to close with an illustration, okay? And um, I want you to think about this and just listen to the illustration. If I had three stoves up here and I had three pots full of water and I had three, three things, I had some carrots, I've got some eggs, and I've got some coffee beans. Now, if I take those hard carrots and put them in that boiling pot and just let them boil and simmer for a while, and then I take these eggs that are fragile, liquid on the inside, and I put them into that pot that's boiled, and I let them boil for a little while, and then I come over here and I take these coffee beans and I put them in this pot of boiling water and just let that boil for a little while. Just let them boil. Now, they're boiling. And they've boiled long enough, and I come over here, and I get those carrots, and what happens to those carrots? They're just mushy. Yuck. I cannot stand cooked carrots. Amen. A raw one is okay, but not a cooked one. Amen. So they're mushy. Maybe it's the texture. I don't know. It's just they're mushy. Yuck. You come to these eggs that have been fragile, and what are they now? They're hard. But I can smell this coffee. Huh? Right? There's, there's nothing that smells better than coffee that's perking. That's, that's, I think that's somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> those beans, those coffee beans, they're just, man, it just smells. It smells so good. And if I just go over and get a glass, a cup, and I pour some of that coffee in there, I can taste the richness the flavor, oh, it's so good. Tastes so good. Those coffee beans are the only thing that changed that water. Carrots didn't change the water. Water changed the carrots. Eggs didn't change the water. Water changed carrots, uh, uh, the eggs. Coffee beans changed the water. Changed the water. So when you're in a place of preparation and it's just boiling hot and you wonder, God, what are you doing with me here? What you need to do is spend enough time with God that he begins to work on your attitude so that your attitude begins to change the flavor of the water. Don't get mushy. Don't get mushy on me. And Lord, don't get hard. But become an aroma. Isn't that what Paul said? We become the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. And it changes that water to where man wants what he smells. He desires that, you see. That's what happens in the place. Preparation is necessary. Necessary. Not always pleasant. Not always fun. 
Listen, I have been so many times in the place of preparation. I have prayed, God, help me. Whatever lesson this is you're teaching me in your school right now, I want to learn it fast. Let's do the speed reading course on this deal. And let's get on by this and out of this. I've been there many times. It's not fun. But I want to tell you something. Whenever I have yielded to the Lord in a situation like that, he's always brought me out the other side. And he's made me somehow a little better and a little wiser. You're in place of preparation. Every single one of y'all that are here in a church in 2021 on a Wednesday night, you are the cream of the crop. You're the, you're the creme de la creme. You're the top of the heap. You're the best of the best. You're here because God wants to use you in some kind of way. And he's most likely got you in a place of preparation right now that you're kind of chafing under. Just go home. Read this chapter again on Joseph and just think about how God wants to use your life. But you got to be in the place of preparation. Father, thank you for that. That whatever you allow in our life is honestly what is best for us. Even though it's difficult to understand, even though it hurts, even though it's hard, even sometimes we grieve deeply through it, but you've allowed it in our lives for a reason, for a purpose. And Father, I pray that we would look to what we should focus on in the midst of the preparation and stop majoring on those things that we should not be focusing on. Teach us, grow us, lead us. You have a growing church here at Valleydale, Father, that needs leaders. Help us to yield to you in the place of preparation. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.